0: Hello, data people, and welcome to Data Fem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm your host, Danielle, founder of Decaio Data, and with me is Anne-Laure LeCumpf, founder and CEO of Nest Labs. We are here to engage you in a conversation about neuroscience, mental health at the workplace, and how data ties it all together. <laughs> Well awesome, it's so wonderful to have you here and I just love talking founder to founder about um, your story. So if you can give me the brief rundown of how you started Nest Labs and your personal background in neuroscience and how the idea came together, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. So in terms of background, I used to work at Google for a few years, first in London and then in San Francisco and I left about two years ago to start a company, a startup, which didn't work out. So I'm part of these founders that have already had one failed startup under their belt. And, um, and after, after this, um, I uh, basically decided to start Nest Labs. The reason why I decided to start this new company is because both at Google and when working on my first startup, I experienced burnout. And I started doing a little bit of research around it and talking to other founders about it and realizing that it was more common than what I thought and that it was something that still had quite a bit of stigma around it, the same with mental health in general. And uh, last year, um, while doing research, I discovered that there was a part-time master that was offered by King's College in London, all about neuroscience. And I decided to take my research a little bit further and a bit more seriously and to apply to get a master's in applied neuroscience. So I've been doing this for a year and I still have another year to go. And uh, I use a lot of the stuff that I study at university in my writing and products at Nest Labs. That's
0: incredible. So you came up with the idea for your new business and then after that decided to get your master's to be more well-versed in the field
1: exactly it's uh it's something that as a user uh, i always make sure that the apps i'm using and the tools i'm using are backed by actual science because there are a lot of i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on the podcast but there's a lot of bullshit oh thank you (laughs) there's a lot of, um, of bullshit out there when it comes to tools to manage your physical and mental health And uh, I wanted uh, to have the same um, approach with what I was doing at Nest Labs and making sure that everything I was going to offer was actually backed by science, which is why I decided to go and study neuroscience.
0: That's great. I actually, I have worked in mental health myself, so I I know that burnout is definitely a thing and I think like people just blame it on themselves and don't really know kind of... They don't think that there's a solution to the problem. It's like, "Oh, I'm a successful person working, I will have burnout." So, you know, if you can disprove that that the, like there is a way to combat those feelings, you know, and become more healthy, I guess, that's really exciting. Um and I did go to your website and I read the statistics on there which um said that 67 percent of people get burnt out at work. Um, Where does that statistic come from?
1: So it was a study that was conducted by Gallup. I don't know if you know them, but they're a huge analytics company and they do do. research. Yeah. So that's a study from them that they did last year. So it's pretty recent. And um, they basically interviewed 7,500 people working in full-time jobs all around the world. And uh, the the stat is a combination of the people who reported feeling burned out at work very often or always, which is 20% of employees. And then there's another additional 44% of people who reported feeling burned out sometimes. So that's why the total of people who have experienced burnout to some extent and certain capacity is 67%.
0: That makes sense. Um, and when you found that statistic, like, what did you
1: think? Like, what, what, did that, what did
0: hearing that motivate you to do?
1: So it was very interesting for me because, as I say, this is something that um, is not discussed enough. And as you mentioned yourself, this is something where people blame themselves for so they don't talk about it a lot there's uh, lots of people who suffer from burnout also suffer from imposter syndrome and are scared that if they talk about it they may maybe lose their jobs or that you know people are going to realize that they're not as confident as they thought they were so realizing that such a huge number of people had suffered from burnout validated the fact that i needed to work on it and try and offer solutions for these people
0: Have you done, what I'm curious about is if you, have you done any, um, research on how burnout overlaps with generalized anxiety, you know, like DSM-5 diagnosed disorders at all? Because you know, I, I I would assume that everybody, even without some kind of anxiety disorder would experience burnout. It's natural, but I have to wonder, you know, is this a way to kind of, um, eradicate the stigma around anxiety? Because I personally have anxiety. I take medication for it and I always feel just a little bit less strong than the people around me, you know? Um, and, I wonder, you know, burnout or the solutions for burnout have the same kind of um, neurological patterns. Maybe, you know, we can all realize in some way that anxiety is just something to be managed at different levels by all of us. So I was wondering if you kind of studied the overlap between how to treat, you know, the symptoms of burnout and if that has to do with um, anxiety treatment at all in general.
1: I I haven't conducted research specifically about this at Nest Labs, but I did read quite a bit about it. And uh, there is definitely overlap with anxiety and not only anxiety, there's overlap with depression too. So lots of people who tend to suffer from depression or anxiety will be more prone to suffering from burnout. The main difference though is that uh, in the studies that I've read, uh, it's been found that it is much easier to completely recover from burnout. Uh, so people who you know, address it and work with a therapist will be able to completely recover from it, especially if this is combined with collaborating with their team and their managers to make sure that their workload is being adjusted. Whereas when it comes to anxiety and depression, the reality, unfortunately, is that for lots of people, it can be a lifelong condition that is being managed either with therapy or, in your case, as you mentioned, medication or a combination of both, but that can't really be cured.
0: It may just be that burnout are kind of like, you know, the inklings of anxiety, but just not on a serious level um, where real medication has to be brought in. But that brings me to ask, um, what have you found? Like, give give me the lowdown of your research. What have you found is a successful cure for these feelings of burnout backed by the data?
1: Yeah. So the very first thing and the most important thing that, and I mentioned that uh, just earlier, is that... There's, you know, no therapy or no help you're going to get that's going to work if there's, you know, if you don't address the root problem of often having way too much work. And, you know, this is what happens to a lot of people. They say yes to everything at work. They end up having too much of it. They get stressed and um, they have anxiety. They lose sleep. And then it becomes this vicious circle where it seems impossible to get out of and to fix so the very first thing and this is also why i would really love for people to talk about it more openly so there's less stigma is to work with your manager or if you're a founder working with your team to make sure that your workload becomes manageable again so that would be the very first thing and in some cases that's enough just basically Uh, reducing the workload, making sure to take breaks, like that could be a break of a few days, but also during the day, making sure to take breaks to recharge. So for some people, that's enough. And for others, there are other deeper causes. So you mentioned anxiety. As I said, there's also depression. And in that case, the only thing I can recommend, and I'm obviously not a doctor, would be to go see one and to go see a therapist to understand exactly what is going on. And that person will be able to help you.
0: I know that all of you listening to DataFum are obsessed with knowing all of the many ways AI is being used to make our lives easier and our businesses more efficient. I recently came across ChipBot, an automation tool that replaces a business's need for live chat by recording questions customers ask, passing them along to the business owner, and saving the responses in a repository so that whenever the question is asked in the future, an automated response is at the ready. As a business owner myself, this is the dream. I get to relax knowing that ChipBot will never let a customer's concerns go unanswered, and in time, the most popular questions won't even need my input. ChipBot is free to sign up, but DataFem listeners get 20% off upgraded features on GetChipBot.com with the code DataFem. What I'm really curious about is, you know, a lot of these managers are... The problem, um, you know, I mean, I've been in toxic work situations more than I would like to share, even, you know. Um, and yeah. a lot of times, you know, I notice the red flags, but I feel like it's my problem. Are you talking to managers about, you know, your products and your services and your research, and what kind of feedback are you getting?
1: It's very interesting what you're saying because uh, I haven't read actual research around this and you make me want to go and look it up and see if it exists. But uh, from more anecdotal evidence from talking with people who've been through burnout, um, I've noticed that often their own managers seem to have symptoms of burnout themselves and they basically pass it down on the, to, to their team basically so it's it's quite interesting that sometimes this can be a symptom of more symptomatic issues uh, that have to do with the way even the company is being managed in in general and uh, in terms of working with managers, I uh, also do coaching and consulting through Nestlab so I do talk privately with managers about some of these issues and uh, especially for people who don't necessarily have the opportunity or the confidence to talk about this at work. It's a safe space basically for them to tell me what they're they're going through. Where you know we we talk about mental health, but we also talk about management, techniques, time management, productivity, etc., and how they could use ways for themselves and for their teams to work in a more efficient and enjoyable way. So it's very interesting to see that more and more managers are actually starting to seek more knowledge around this so they can can take better care of themselves and of their teams.
0: That's really good to hear because toxicity, you know, it can stay in your life as a ex-employee for forever, you know, and you know, it, it would be great. It seems like you are a pioneer in the space of maybe ha- like helping, empowering employees to see the signs of a toxic work environment. Before they start internalizing, I think it would be really interesting to look into you know even like self report data about toxicity and like you know what I really think would be helpful, maybe is to talk to employees about how they feel you know in terms of burnout in terms of toxicity and then talk to the manager and see how these um statistics differ i know that one of my colleagues daria who um we've kind of grown in data science together at one point when we were working more in the mental health space um and specifically mental health at work we did, she put together an infographic that I don't remember the details, but I will try to find it for you where it, it showed right next to each other, kind of like an employee's perspective on work versus a manager's. And there were discrepancies, you know, (laughs) like the manager may think that, you know, they're putting together a wonderful work environment and it's, you know, the employee's fault that they can't perform in a very specific way and the employee feels the opposite, you know, like there's no way I could perform well in this environment. So, you know, toxic managers beware, maybe you and I will do a study.
1: It was actually very interesting because when I was working at Google and they've been doing this for, for years, um, basically every six months, Um, employees and managers and everyone in the company have to fill an anonymous survey about um, you know, how they feel in general, how they think that the team is performing and how happy they feel at Google. And uh, yeah, the name of the, I just remember the name of the survey was called Google guys and, uh, and everyone had to fill this and you could be completely honest in it because it was, anonymized. And so your manager wouldn't know who said what, basically. So it was a great opportunity to pass on that feedback, even when you had a toxic relationship with your manager. And to your point, I think for managers who really wanted to grow and do better It was also a way to identify these discrepancies between the way they felt they were performing and acting and the way they were being perceived by their own team.
0: Yeah, I think that those types of programs require a lot of maturity and self-awareness on everybody's part because, you know, it can be hard to even just show up to work every day, you know, (laughs) and then to show up to work and have to be introspective in this way is something that you know, should be expected, but at, you know, for a while while we make that transition, it's going to feel, you know, invasive because, you know, people, it's hard enough for them to show up and perform their duties. But I think once that learning curve is done and people expect to also, you know, feel responsible for the environment that they contribute to at work, I think that it'll become a lot easier. And, and, I think that your work with Nest Labs is going to be a huge part of that. It's very exciting. Um and since all of us listening here and me, myself, and it seems like you are too, are total data nerds and, you know, live, thrive off statistics. Um, I want to get your perspective on how data has helped you grow your business and, you know, what the role is, who's doing the data collection and, you know, where you see data Um, playing a role in terms of how Nest Labs develops in the near
1: future? So I'm not a data scientist myself, but as I said, uh, I want everything that we do at Nest Labs to be based on actual science, which means actual data. So everything I write about is always backed with the corresponding research paper. And I spend as much time um reading the research paper and seeing if it actually uh, fits and then checking the methodology and making sure that the the study has been reproduced at least once there is um a huge reproductivity issue in science where lots of papers have been you know the experiment has been done once and no one ever after ever managed to get similar results which means that, you know, the candid interpretation is that the scientists that made the very first experiment made an honest mistake somewhere. But unfortunately, in some cases, um, it's been found that uh, they were being dishonest because they wanted to have an interesting finding and something very clear cut when science really isn't clear cut all the time. But they needed this to Make sure they would get published in a big journal and that this would be basically um, kind of like you know front page worthy and that they would get a lot of peer coverage so in terms of data uh, this is something that's super important to me to make sure that the studies that we refer to have been reproduced by other people and that have found uh, similar data as a as a result and in terms of conducting more research in the future, I'm super excited because uh, we have a, a new research a researcher in residence that has just started last week. And that is going to conduct original research. And uh, her name is Varsha. She's amazing. And she's much better than I am with data. So I'm a big proponent of working with people who are more talented than you are. And she definitely is more talented than me. When it comes to this, so I'm very excited about this and about using original data this time for some of our future articles. That is really
0: exciting, and I'll be I'll be following and seeing what um, data you collect. Do you know what kind of data she'll be looking into? Have you kind of mapped out any studies yet, or um, like what have you mapped out how you're going to conduct this new research?
1: so we only have the the theme in general so i want her she's because she's a researcher in residence i want to make sure that she also has the freedom to design the experiment that she wants but the theme we're going to explore is cognitive biases and entrepreneurship so it is going to involve collecting data from founders and looking at previous research on cognitive biases but it's very early she started last week so um yeah stay tuned and uh and I think it's going to be very interesting. Well
0: congratulations and let me know if you want to you know get my perspective as a founder. I actually want to get your perspective as a founder right now. This is not really um part of the whole data science concentration of DataFem. But when I saw you were doing consulting, um, it made me wonder how you're getting these clients for these sessions because lately I've been doing some sessions of my own, you know, more like career development, helping data scientists and coders get hired. And, you know, it's I've never really done that type of work before on my own in terms of like having to reach out and get the clients so I'm wondering what your take on that is and you know how you've been successful with that
1: I'm a big fan of personal branding and and I'm always advocating for people to put themselves out there because it's a very efficient way to get clients actually and especially for people who are a bit shy and uh and believe me or not, I'm actually quite the introvert. So I always feel uncomfortable, um, cold emailing people and bothering them. So the way I find clients is all inbound and it's all through writing on my blog, basically. So I write regularly and, uh, and I think especially for a data scientist or anyone who's conducting research, they will always have something interesting to write about. So my advice would be to make it a habit to post their thoughts or whatever direction this, their research is taking or anything interesting trends and in data science uh, on a blog, like having a personal website and a blog and posting there. And after a while people just start using the contact form and, you know, being like, Hey, you know, you write about something super interesting. Um, Could I talk to you about it more? And uh, on my website, I have a, a form where people can pay $100 for an initial consultation. It's very easy. It just uses Stripe and people can book it. They have one hour with me. And sometimes it's enough just to help them and give them a few pointers. And sometimes they want to work on a bigger project. So then I price this. And in terms of, you know, the deliverables and how much uh, time I think this is going to take. And if they want, sometimes in the UK, they want me to come to their office. So I take all of this into account, but it always starts with them reading something on my blog and finding it interesting and wanting to know how they could apply some of these learnings to their own company or to themselves
0: that's a really good point and it's interesting because for me I have so much content and I am a writer I went to journalism school every week um we do a Twitter chat on the decayo data um, Twitter channel that I reached you on and um, the hashtag is data everyone. And it's just people just contribute so much knowledge and I am so behind on putting it together with blogs and I don't, I don't know necessarily why that is. It's just that, you know, doing the podcast editing takes forever and like, Sending out emails to get, you know, sponsorship and whatnot also takes a lot of time, but I don't think it takes the same kind of intricate brain focus that writing does. And so I convince myself that I'm like too tired to write a blog, but I can do all this other stuff, you know? So I think I just need to like set a time every day or every other day to write.
1: You say to yourself, it's really about building that habit and uh, so I, I, that's exactly what I do. I In my calendar, I have time blocked every morning for writing. And it's the first thing I do in the morning, even before checking my emails, because I find it super important. So that's my priority in the morning before doing anything else. And another thing that has helped me and I know has helped other people is to commit to it publicly. So basically just saying on Twitter, starting from now, I'm going to publish one new blog post every week or every two weeks. And uh, this has been really helpful for me to, to stick to it. Even the days where I was not feeling inspired or I was feeling tired, it's like, nope, I made that commitment. And so having the weekly newsletter Uh, that people have subscribed to has helped me in that sense too because I wouldn't want come Thursday to have nothing to send to people.
0: That makes sense that does and having you know nowadays I've kind of made the commitment to releasing a Datafem episode every Wednesday and I have totally seen the difference in how people respond you know um, it's a commitment but it's worth it and I'm even thinking about you know tying everything back into mental health I'm thinking about starting to write more on paper and then transferring it to digital you know because it it just kind of like anything that you can do that's tactile is so therapeutic in a way that we don't often experience anymore And so, you know, for me, when I was doing more mental health advocacy every day, it was actually centered around crafting and knitting and crochet specifically. Um, And I think like I should even find the time to go back to that. You know, one of my best friends who's also a journalist, she gave me a handwritten journal for my birthday a few months ago and that's been really helpful because it's like you know it makes me feel closer to my friend because we don't live in the same city and then also you know it just feels like it's organically everything i'm writing organically comes from me and is more um,
1: connected to me
0: than if i were to just type everything real quick on a computer
1: and journaling you mentioned that you had anxiety and it's been shown to help with that actually so when you say that it's therapeutic, it's not just a feeling, it actually is. So it's great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would love to do some research with you, especially on like toxicity, but also on coping mechanisms in the future, because for me, like doing data research is just my jam. I will spend mm-hmm. hours and even, you know, if I don't find anything significant in the data, I'm still having fun processing it. There's nothing quite like that feeling. Um But as we near the end of our time right now, I do want you to just tell me um, a few pieces of feedback you've gotten from people you've consulted through Nest Labs. Um, Like, what if? What are some victory stories that stay close to you
1: that you've, you know, from people that you've helped? I think the you know best compliment that I'm getting is that most of my clients keep on. coming back and booking more sessions for more issues that they're facing. So to me, that's the most important thing. And uh, in terms of um, of uh, the, the story that I think that I loved uh, the best uh, was this founder that was completely burned out and who we did a few sessions with. It was very interesting because he uh, didn't want to go to therapy, which is why he reached out to me because he kept on saying that he wasn't sick and that he didn't want to talk to uh, a shrink basically, uh, but that he felt comfortable talking to me because I was a founder and that I was not going to treat him as a patient. And um, it took a long time, like I think we did like four or five sessions, Um, but he did end up going to therapy. And so I'm not the one who made him Better, but he was really struggling. And uh, the fact that I managed to convince him to do that for himself and to invest in his mental health is something that I've been feeling quite proud of.